Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church Podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Well, we're going to continue our series today, Jesus Over Everything. How many of you are natural risk takers? You like, you're a risk taker, like you'll jump out of an airplane. Any, man, we've got a lot to work on in this room. You're not a natural at it. How many of you are naturally cautious? <laughs> yeah. If you know you're asked to do something, how come only like six of you raised your hands? Like, what are the rest of you doing? Sitting on the couch eating Doritos? What's going on? But, uh, you know, in life we have an opportunity, whether it's starting a business, whether it's, um, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, meeting a new group of people, um, you know, the, the, there's, there's risk in whether it's, whether it's you know, um, coming to church, whatever it may be, right? And some, some people, we have, we're just natural risk takers. We like to start stuff. Doesn't mean we're going to finish everything. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. It just means that we like to take risk. Um, but then there's, there's folks that are naturally cautious when it comes to risk taking, and I'm going to read a scripture today out of Matthew chapter 25, verse number 24 through 29 out of the Message Bible. It says, the servant given 1,000, this is the, the parable of the talents, and it says this, it says, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. Now, how many would think that would be a good thing? You're saving the money, you're hanging on to it, you know, the, all the way down to the last cent. Listen to what Jesus says. The master was furious. He says, that's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. Now, that's Jesus talking. He says, that's criminal. Now, see, he's not saying don't save money, so don't go leave. And pastor said, we're supposed to spend everything we got and give it away. No. You need to save your funds. You need to have a budget. But listen to what he says, though. He's talking about a mentality. They thought they were doing the master a, a, a favor by playing it safe. Then it goes on to say, he says, if you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand, give it to the one who risked the most. That's what he says. He says, if you're going to save it and you're going to sit on it, I'm going to give it to somebody that's actually going to take a risk with it. Because actually in this passage, if you think about it, that it would create more money if you take a risk. You create less money if you sit on it. Now, today's not about money, just so you know, but it's just the text and how it comes across. It says this. He said, he said, take a thousand, give it to the one who risked the most, and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. He said, get rid of this play it safe. And today I want to talk to you about Jesus over playing it safe. So what's that mean today? I'm going to give you five truths, I believe, out of Matthew 25 today. And number one is this, there is often sin in safety. There's often sin in safety. Safety has become an idol in our world today. We don't take risk anymore. We just work a job. We come home, blah, blah, blah. We don't really have risk in our lives anymore. And uh, I heard somebody put it this way. We are the most seat belted, airbagged, hand sanitized, bike helmeted, 
knee pad wearing, hyper-insured, sunscreen lathered, massively medicated, password protected, uh, inoculated generation in history, and all it has done is made everyone more afraid of everything. Come on, somebody. I didn't have a bike helmet. Now, wear a bike. I make my kid wear a bike helmet. But back in the day, we didn't have bike helmets. We didn't re- if anything, my grandpa made me put on a motorcycle helmet, one of them ones that have like the four buttons where you could put the shield on it, that old school thing. And, uh, but listen, that's the type of mentality we have. And a lot of times, we have to understand is that the sin of safety removes our need for a savior. When you play it safe, you become your own savior. When you play it safe, you become your own Lord. When you, when you sit back and just kind of take things easy and you live that play it safe life, that, 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 it, that, that the sin of safety is that it removes the need of a Savior. God doesn't get glory in safety. I'm in the right church this morning. I know I am. Come on, we're a talkback church. We, that God doesn't get glory in safety. He gets glory when we step out by faith and look to advance his kingdom. That's when he gets glory. That's when he gets glory. And so safety, listen, safety can become a replacement savior in our lives. If we, if we default to safety, it can become a, a replacement savior. And in Matthew 25, we are confronted with a Jesus that doesn't celebrate safety. We are, we, we are confronted with a Jesus that doesn't celebrate this man's safety. Why? Number two, Jesus was not safe. He didn't live a life of safety. He, he lived a life of risk. And if you're a Christ follower, that's who you're following. You're following the one that's taken the greatest risk ever would be to come to earth, die on a cross, and raise from the dead. Jesus didn't play it safe. Listen, when, they were, when Jesus was told in, in society, lepers were considered untouchable. You weren't supposed to touch lepers. When Jesus would encounter lepers, what would he do? Touch them. He asked them, what would you want? And, and they would say, I want to be made whole. And Jesus would touch the lepers. The lepers were unclean. Jesus touched them and he healed them. Why? Because Jesus knew he was more contagious than the leper. Come on, somebody. Come on, this, come on this one. I know it's rainy out, but listen. Jesus is more contagious than the leper. He knew that he, he had something on the inside of him, and he knew his father was backing him. And when he laid his hands on the leper, Jesus didn't get the leper, or didn't get leprosy. The leper got Jesus. And if Jesus plays it safe, me and you aren't saved, folks. If Jesus plays it safe, me and you don't have an eternity, folks. Jesus had to risk it all to come to heaven and earth, that we might be saved, that we might be filled, we might be transformed, and we might experience freedom today because he didn't play it safe. Careful, though. We, we, this is the one we're following now. This is the one we're following. You know, Jesus didn't play it safe. He spent time with sinners, religious people. Well, why is he planning time? with sinners. The Pharisee, the Pharisees, and the, and the Sadducees, the religious group that knew the law. Man, they knew the law, but they didn't know how to practice grace and be in people's, Jesus took a risk, he spent time with sinners. Jesus was so risky and didn't play it safe that he went to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16, it was the place of idol worship. It's where all the temples of worship was. And Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, and he's sitting there with his disciples, and he asks them a question. Who do men say that I am? And he says, well, and, and you know, they start talking. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say I'm probably something that. And then he says, who do you say that I am? He makes it personal. 
He moves out of generalization and he wants to know what you believe personally. That's a, that's a message all within itself. And, he, and he, he asked him and Peter pipes up and says, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And this is what he says. He's behold, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to understand something in this minute. Jesus was taking a risk because there was a crowd. What was the risk? All of us think, well, he's talking about hell literally. The gates of hell will not prevail. That's not what he's talking about. He's standing in the middle of idol worship temples, temples where they're worshiping false gods, and he's standing in a religious place, and he begins to point at the religious spirits and the religious people of the day, and he starts to say, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. See, he's talking about religion. He's talking about temple worship and false idolship. And he said, listen, he's standing in the middle of this, and he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a risk. Think about Jesus also. Jesus didn't go around Samaria like everybody else did. Jesus went through Samaria. Samaria were outcast people. They were people that Jews didn't have dealings with. And Jesus decided, listen, I'm going through Samaria. It said he had to go. Most people went around Samaria because they didn't want to deal with the Samaritans. Cross-culturally, it was incorrect for them to do that. But Jesus said, I don't care about any of that. He said, I'll risk it all. And he walks right through the middle. And that's where he meets the woman at the well in Samaria and changes her life forever. She goes and then changes Samaria forever. But think about it. Jesus took a risk. People talk, ah, Jesus is over in Samaria again. Talking about him, making fun of him. Like, what's he doing over there with that Samaritans? Jesus didn't play it safe. Jesus died so we could live. That's not safe. See, and we call ourselves Christ followers, but when we, then, then we get surprised when God asks us to take bold step of faith that may not be safe. You're following one that's not safe. Come on, somebody. And then he asks you to take steps, and you're like, hey, I don't know about all that, Jesus. I don't know about all that. Hold on a second. If you truly follow him, he's going to take you into uncharted territory. He's going to take you into places you never thought you could go. You're going to see things you never thought you could see. Matthew 16 puts it this way in verse 21 and 23 in the message. It says, then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. He's going to die on the cross for us. And it says, it's necessary that I go to Jerusalem. And he's talking to his church small group, his disciples. You'd think they'd be all in. And then he goes and he says, submit, I'm going to submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, be killed, and then on the third day, be raised up. Peter took him in hand, protesting, impossible master. That can never be. You're not going to Jerusalem. Peter, like, tries to get in the way. But Jesus didn't swerve. Come on, somebody. Jesus didn't swerve. I love that terminology. Hey, he didn't swerve. He stayed straight on. It says this, Peter, get out of my way, Satan. Get lost. He says, he says, Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. In other words, Peter was asking Jesus to play it safe. And the enemy used Peter in that moment, and the enemy's voice calls you to safety. God's voice calls you to complete abandonment of yourself. Come on, somebody. Man, that's who we serve. That's who died for us. He's the Savior of the world, and, and he says, don't play it safe. The enemy wants to talk you into safety. The enemy wants to talk you out of your destiny. The enemy wants to talk you out of purpose, but God's voice calls you 
to complete abandonment. Risk it all. Number three is this. We are called to worship Christ, not comfort. When it comes to playing it safe and Jesus over playing it safe, according to Matthew 25, we are called to worship Christ, not comfort. Listen, the best things in life happen outside of our comfort zone. The best things in life happen outside of our comfort zone. Listen, if my wife was into comfort, we would have never had children. You're like, Pastor, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Here's what I mean by that is being uncomfortable is a part of the birthing process. You know, you make the announcement, I'm pregnant. It's great, we're pregnant, we're gonna have a baby. Then things start growing inside of you. And then your, <laughs> and your pants don't fit. Come on, somebody. And then you get so large, like you gotta creep on down the road. You know what I'm talking about? And then like you start to itch because you're stretching. Weird things happen. You know, it, you just get uncomfortable. And you know, you gotta, you gotta back into the car now to get in. Come on, somebody. You can't go in this way. You got to back that thing up. You know what I'm talking about? And you, you got to do it that way, right? Because being, being pregnant and part of the birthing process is being uncomfortable. And when God puts great things in you and he puts a, a, a pregnancy, if you will, of destiny and purpose in your life, it's going to be uncomfortable. He's going to take you into territories that you will not be comfortable. Listen, if you're not comfortable today, you're following and you're going in the right direction. If you feel safe and you feel secure and I got it all together, you know, you're not following Jesus. We are called to worship Christ, not comfort. You have to be okay with God calling you out of your comfort zone. You can't step into your calling and your purpose and live in your comfort zone all at the same time. It's time we shake ourselves of comfort and say, God, I'm going all in today. It's time we shake ourselves of playing it safe and saying, God, I'm going all in today. I won't worship comfort. I won't play it safe because my Savior didn't play it safe, so I'm going to follow him. Listen, are there areas in your life that you're holding on to? Are there areas in your life that's keeping you safe? Are there areas in your life or certain parts of your life that are locked out to God? Like, God, don't go in that room. Who no. Like everything, everything else to God, yeah, you can go in the living room, but don't go in the closet. Come on, we all got them. Come on, you open and everything for the last 10 years falls out on your face. Especially if you're a hoarder, Amen. It's so get rid of some stuff. Come on, somebody. That's not, anyway, let's keep moving. The point is this, is that, that Jesus doesn't just want your living room. He wants your entire house. He wants your entire life. Matthew 16, 25 says this. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me as to let me lead has to let me lead. If you're going to follow him, you have to let him lead. He says, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to find yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Listen to that terminology of what he says. He says, says, don't run from suffering, but follow me and I'll show you how self-help, self-sacrifice is the way. If you want to find yourself, you got to lose yourself. If you want to find yourself, you can't play it safe. If you want to find yourself, you can't sit on the sideline. you got to get in the game. 
We worship safety when we isolate ourselves to the, avoid the risk of being hurt again. I'm gonna give you some things that I think we worship. Some things that I think that we worship that creates comfort in our lives is, is we worship safety when we isolate ourselves to avoid the risk of being hurt again. Listen, it's easy to be isolated, but most of the time you're isolating yourself from your purpose. Number two is we, we worship safety when we don't take the step to serve others because we're afraid of not having enough time for ourselves. Let me, let me say that one more time. We worship safety when we don't take the step to serve others because we are afraid of not having enough time for ourselves. You can't live that way, lose your life. You can't keep your life and find your life. You have to, you have to, you have to step out. You can't live the life God wants for you to live by focusing on yourself. We worship safety when we don't worship with our finances through tithes and offerings because we fear we will not have enough. Listen to me today. Jesus can take care of your finances better than you. I would rather live 90% with God than 100% without. Well, pastor, that's just you. That's your belief system. And that's great. You know why? Because I want to be blessed to be a blessing. He that gives leads to, to blessing. He that withholds leads to poverty. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your poverty and your spirit. Well, I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. I prophesy to people, but you're mean as a snake. You downgrade people. Hold on a sec. Listen to me this morning. I want you to understand something today. Is that, that he, he's communicating to us that, that, that we can't play a safe in this area, in, our, in the area of our finances. We worship safety when we don't do anything to reach out to people in our world who need Jesus. Why are we here? I, there, this is the toughest thing of being a pastor. My pastor told me that, like, this is the toughest thing of being a pastor. I've been in ministry for almost 27 years. This has been the toughest thing is to get the church to understand why you are here. You are here to lead people out of hell and into heaven. That's your number one job. It, you're called to be salt and light. Stop waiting on me to do it for you. God's got gifts in you. He's got talents in you. And it's your job to walk in your purpose. And your purpose, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether whatever you want to call yourself, it has to attach to God's made me salt and God's made me light. The bottom line. Don't let religion talk you out of leading others to Christ. Well, I don't know enough. Listen. That's a trick of the enemy because you think you have to have some theological degree to know enough. You know enough. If you've said yes to Jesus, he's done some stuff in your life and he wrote part of your story and he wrote your story and you have enough to share that can be encouraging for the veil to fall off of somebody else so they will then say yes. Don't diminish your story. Wow, pastor, I wasn't a drug addict on the side of the road and God just set me free. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. Let me say something to you, though. People that have been in church their whole life are the hardest people to get them to understand how to win souls. You know why? It's because you've been church your whole life. You've been church to the institution and the organization, but where's your experience with Jesus that says, I have a story that he set me free. He kept me 
Come on, man. He kept me for all these years. That's a story because when people say, listen, I'm going to make this step to, you know, your story is this, is that you were in church your whole life and God kept you. Think about the impact of that in somebody's life where the world's unstable. God kept you. And when you tell them that he kept you this many years and you love him and you love people, guess what, guess what you're communicating to them? That when I say yes, he'll keep me also. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. So don't, digress, don't downgrade your story. Everybody has one. And our goal, we don't want to worship safety and withhold the message of the good news. We worship safety when we surround ourselves with safe people who tell us what we want to hear. That's a new one. Well, I'm just going to hang around those three or four people that make me feel good. Why don't you hang around somebody that's going to challenge you? Because anybody that's going to challenge you is going to reject your safety mentality. Anybody that actually loves you is going to say, hey, don't stand in the boat. Get out of the boat. Uh, we worship safety when we let everything else take priority over worshiping together with other believers. We worship safety when we hide our secret sin to maintain a certain image. Now we're getting below the surface. We have a secret sin that we hold on to, to have a certain image. We worship safety inst instead of saying to a brother or a sister, here's what I'm struggling with. I need to be transparent and vulnerable because I have this certain image, but there's something in that closet I need to deal with. We worship safety when we withhold forgiveness thinking we are punishing others. We worship safety when we refuse to take the next step of faith that God is calling us out. Calling us out of fear. Uh, let me read it up here. We worship safety when we refuse to take the next step of faith that God is calling us to out of fear of failure. We don't take the step because we're fear of failure. Can I tell you this? There is no fruitfulness without failure. You're going to fail at some things. There's going to be some things in life you're going to fail at. But failure is a requirement for fruitfulness. Well, that means I'm not going to get it all right all the time. I'm not going to get it all right all the time, Pastor. I'm OCD. I got to get it right all the time. I got to listen. The rug's going to be crooked. Like, what in the world's that got to do with anything? <laughs> you know, you walk in and the rug's crooked. And you're like, oh my God, the house is going to fall down because the rug is crooked. Hold tight. Everything's not going to be perfect. There is going to be times of failure. Count it all joy because you're getting ready to produce some fruit. We can step out. We don't have to worship safety. And the number four is this. If we're going to understand that Jesus is over us playing it safe, God is looking for kingdom risk takers. God is looking for kingdom risk takers. We will see miracles when we take the risk of faith. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to close with this story today, and I want to talk to you just for a minute about how to be a risk taker, because with every risk comes the opportunity for miracles. With every risk that you step out to do something amazing, there comes a point where we're not going to play it safe, therefore it's, as we take the risk of faith, it's going to require miracles. Mark chapter 6, verse 33, I'm going to read this out of the message, it says, so they got in the boat, went off to a remote place by themselves, 
Someone saw them going, and the word got around from the surrounding towns. People were, went out on foot running, got there ahead of t- them. And when Jesus arrived, he saw the huge crowd. At the sight of them, his heart was broke like sheep with no shepherd they were. He went right to work teaching them. Don't you just love Jesus? He's not like, he doesn't come down on them. He tells them, he starts to teach them. He says, when his disciples thought this had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, they interrupted. Now, can you imagine being that guy? Jesus is pontificating. He's preaching all day long, and the disciples get this brilliant idea. It's getting dark. Everyone's getting hungry. Let's tell Jesus to wrap it up. He's long-winded. We need to come on. Come on, somebody. Like, thank you, Jesus, for your parables, but somebody needs to get us to Manicotti. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? And then, he, and then he goes on to say, he says, we're a long way out of the country and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction, send these folks on their way so they can get some supper. And Jesus looked at him and said, you do it. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm not going to quit preaching. You're going to need to feed these people. And these disciples are like, I got I to I feed these people, but I ain't got nothing to feed them with. It says, fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? Like how many of us do that to God? God asked us not to play it safe. And then we ask God, are you, are you, are you sure? Are you serious? This is what you want me to do? And then he says, you want us to go spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. That didn't take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. Five loaves, two fish. Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. They looked like patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, gave the bread to the disciples, and the disciples in turn gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They all ate their fill. 5,000 people is what the Bible says, but actually that's 5,000 households. That that, that 5,000 represents how they counted was heads of household. So it was 5,000 families, not just 5,000 people. And they had five loaves and two fish. How many know those two numbers make no sense? It's just not going to work. But there's a little boy that that morning, his mom packed him a lunch of five loaves and two fishes, and he heard Jesus was coming to town, and he goes down to town, and there he is, and all of a sudden, the disciples, Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them, you find them supper. So he's like, well, I'm supposed to find food. So they start walking through the crowd, and they get to this little boy that's got the five loaves and two fishes, and they're like, hey, man, like they surround him. Can you imagine this? They surround the little boy. We're going to need your food we got 5,000 plus people to feed. I need five loaves and two fishes. I don't know if it's going to work, but we need your food. We need to figure this thing out. We're going to take the food to Jesus. Jesus keeps talking. If you're hungry, we need, you know what I'm saying? I need your food. So they take the food and they give it to Jesus. He, he gives them the food. But see, the thing you have to understand is the little boy on his way to experience this, he had to take a risk. He couldn't play it safe. He had no idea how God was going to use him to provide a resource to be able to feed 5,000 plus people. He woke up this morning thinking he was going to have lunch because Jesus talked a long time. He has no idea. This little boy has no idea that God is going to take his gift, his lunch, his offering, and bless many people with it. Listen to me today, church. When we take a risk and we don't play it safe, we have no idea how close we are to being part of a miracle story. And that's what this little, little boy experienced. He was, he, was, he was in the middle of a miracle story, but he didn't know it. He had no idea. How does a biblical miracle work? It's this, quote, when there is a need sensed by a few, and each individual understands his responsibility and gives his all, regardless of the odds, then Jesus works a miracle. 
This is how miracles work. This is what happens when we take a risk. When we take a risk is when there is a need sensed by a few, and each individual understands his responsibility and gives his all regardless of the odds, and Jesus works miracle. So how does miracles work? If we're going to take a risk, we got to understand that if we're not playing it safe, then how's God going to come through? What's the miracle going to look like? You have to understand every miracle has a common denominator. It all begins with a need. So if you have a need today, and you have, you have a problem or a need, I want you to understand today that you are a candidate for a miracle. When there is a need, all of a sudden, listen, Jesus was long-winded, disciples huddled off to the side, they're getting hungry, they blame the people, which immediately creates a problem or a need. Jesus, they're hungry, he says, feed them. Immediate problem. They have no food, they have a need. People are hungry, they have no food. See, because it all starts with a need. It created a problem. They had no food. We have a need in front of us, church. We have a need in front of us. And the need that we have in front of us, you're going to be like, oh, he's going to talk about money. I'm not talking about money today. Listen to what I'm talking about, though. Here, here's the deal. We have a need. And you know what the need is? Is that there's 42% of people within 20 minutes of our church property that need to know Jesus that are unchurched. We have a need in front of us. The need is not just financially. The need is that there is a group of people of 451,000 people within 20 minutes of our property where 42% of them do not know Jesus or are unchurched. We have a mountain in front of us. Listen to me. We got to stop counting who's coming. And we got to start counting who's not here yet. If you got an open seat next to you, I expect you to figure out, because you're a risk taker, how to fill the seat. We're like, Pastor, why do you want a full church? Jesus wants a full heaven. If we gotta have a full church, it's because we, he wants a full heaven. And people need Jesus. People need him to change their life. Every miracle starts with a need, and we have a need that means we become a candidate. We have a problem. There are people in our region who desperately need people to stop playing it safe. They need a people that's gonna be a risk taker and we're on the edge of receiving a miracle. Number two is it's sensed by a few and each individual understands his responsibility. All of us have a part to play. Jesus is teaching, the disciples are hungry. Disciples suggest he should dismiss the crowd. See, up until this point, the responsibility to take care of the problem was on Jesus. They thought Jesus could take care of the problem. Just wrap it up and dismiss. We're done, everybody can go eat. But Jesus tells them something. You give them something to eat. Not only did he create a need, but all of a sudden he put it into the hands of the disciples. Now think about this for just a minute. He turns to the disciples and says, you give them something to eat. Don't you love, like when it comes to miracles, we love to tell God what he needs to do for us. What he needs to do when it comes to miracles, you feed them. Hey, you feed them. God, you feed them. Feed the people. And Jesus looks at him and says, no. You feed them. What does Jesus, why, why does Jesus do it this way? You know, we give, how, how many of you have ever given God suggestions on how to answer your prayer? Huh, come on somebody, we've all done it. But let me ask you a question. <laughs> I know in my life this is pretty factual. He's never taken my suggestion. Can you do it this way, God? Please, do it this way, and he's like, Yes, you know, Jason, you're so profound. <laughs> On how, I never, you know, I never thought about that. 
You know, God doesn't look at me and go, you know, your suggestion's great because I never thought about how to answer your prayer. But we do that all the time. We put the need on Jesus when Jesus says, listen, here's the great part about this story is the difference is most of us want magic. Jesus, just do it. But with the miracle, God wants you involved with it. He wants you to be a part of the process. He wants you to be a, a partner in the miracle. But listen, if you're playing it safe, you can't be a partner in the miracle. You have to be a risk taker. See, how many know Jesus didn't need the kids' lunch? He could have fed 5,000 people plus. He's Jesus. He could have been like, Manicotti on everybody's lap now. Bam, there it is. Could have been that simple. But he, he put it in the disciples' hands. And how many know the disciples in this moment, something happened. Like, he breaks it. Thank you, Father. Breaks it, puts it in their hand. And these guys are like, there's 12 of us. We just took five loaves and two fish. And we have this little bit. And we're going to walk around. How stupid is this miracle? Okay, here we go, Jesus. You guys ready? You ready, Thomas? All right, here we go. And they used to go right out into the crowd. The Bible says that they went through the crowd handing out bread and fish, and it was multiplying like crazy in the middle. Why? Because Jesus wants you to be a partner. And he, they were watching bread multiply and fish multiply. In that moment, it says they all ate till they was filled up. And then they had baskets left over for the little boy to take home to his mama. Why? The miracle doesn't begin until it exchanges hands. The miracle wants you, God wants you to participate in it. Raising Lazarus from the dead, he told them, move the stone. He didn't need them to move the stone. He could have moved it. Stone move. He could have spoke to it. But he wanted them involved in the miracles. Water to wine. He says, get the, barrel, get the barrels and fill them up with water. How many know he could have put wine in empty barrels? Come on. He could have taken it and put it in empty barrels and made wine out of it. But God wanted them to be in the process. God wants us in faith to participate with him. And without God, we cannot. But without God... Without us, God will not. Listen to that statement. God, without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. God wants to use us. He wants us to take a risk. God values us to include us in the miracle. And you should be happy about that. Thank you for enthusiasm this morning. That's fine. I'll take your miracle. I'll step way out and watch God do miracles while you play it safe. You're going to get to the end of your life and be like, I wish I could have, would have, should have. I'll take it. I'm gonna step out way farther than, than, than what's normal for Jason and watch him fill the gap and watch him, allow him to be. And number three is this, and give us all regards of the odds. Jesus said, you feed them, they had nothing. Then he tells 5,000 plus people, listen to me this morning, have you ever, none of you have ever, but I have, tried to organize church people. You guys are the most disobedient people sometimes in the world. You're like, what do you mean, pastor? He told them to set them down in 50s and 100s. They didn't have a sound system where they could yell, get into groups of 50 and 100. They didn't have any of that. He said, I want you to walk through the crowd and put 50s and 100s together. Now, can you imagine this moment? It's a miracle watching, watching God do this, in this. It was against the odds. Listen, how many know the ask was simple from Jesus? Feed the people. But it doesn't make sense. 
the greatest risk of all in this whole story, the risk taker was the little boy. Because the little boy could have sat on his food. Why? Because he had enough to take care of himself. How many know that's what we do? We take care of ourselves. He could have been tempted to do that. It's hard to take care of others when you're comfortable with yourself, when you worship comfort and playing it safe. And two, the request makes no sense. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 plus people, makes no sense, God. Listen, I've often wondered how many miracles I've missed because the court request didn't make sense to me. I couldn't figure it out, I couldn't understand it. This boy looked around and thought, my gift is too small to meet the needs of all these people. Don't allow the evil one to talk you out of being a part of the miracle. Don't let your flesh talk you out of it. Don't let the people around you talk about, listen, in your hands, it will feed you, but in his, his hands, it will multiply to feed thousands of people. Miracles require, it gets out of your hands. You have to be a risk taker. The miracle happens when the lunch exchanges hands. Any investment you put in God's hand, it will be the safest it could ever be. And number five is this to close out. When it comes to playing it safe, I can be risky. Because I know who's with me. So my question this morning, with really nobody moving around if we can in this moment, my question as we move forward today is this. Will you give him your lunch? Will you give him your lunch, whatever that is, whatever your life looks like? Will you give him your lunch and let him multiply it to make a difference in the lives of people who need Jesus? Will you understand today Jesus is overplaying it safe in our life? God wants us to take a step today and change our mentality about our world and about our life. He wants us to realize in order to experience great miracles, it requires great risk. Let's pray this morning. Close your eyes with me. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor Jason, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life today. Or maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've been playing it safe in your relationship with God. Maybe you're just like, yeah, I go to church, you know, but just playing it safe. Maybe you're watching online today and you're just playing it safe, man. Like you don't, you haven't taken that step of faith and saying, God, I'm all in. Like I'm going all in with you. I'm giving you my lunch. I'm giving you my life. It's all yours. See, sometimes we want a calculated risk. We want to know if it makes sense before we take a risk. God's not asking you to calculate the risk. God's asking you to obey him. Well, what if, what if, what if, I, what if I say yes to Christ and I lose some of my friends? That's a, that's a risk. It's a risk for sure. But watch God transform you and circle back around to your friends and watch him transform your friends after he transforms you. Maybe this, you're not all in yet, and you want to be all in. If you're in this place today and you say, that's me, Pastor. I need to be all in. I need to make that decision to say, yes, I've walked away from God, or I need to make that decision to say yes to Jesus. If you're in this place, will you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you. You say, that's me. I want to go all in today. I'm going to go all in. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. Yes. And if you're watching online, put the word yes in the comments today. We're going to pray for you. We have four or five, six people in here that said they're going all in. They're going to come back to the Lord, and they're going to follow him, and they're going to take risks. Come on, somebody. Do you that raised your hand today, I want you to understand something, that you're positioning yourself for the greatest life ever is today. Let's all pray together this morning. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus 
die on the cross for me, raise, it, raise from the dead for me. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make me a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Today I, I abandon it all. I don't live in comfort any longer. I no longer play it safe. I'm gonna trust you with my future. I'm gonna trust you with my today. And I thank you for being there. I thank you for leading me in steps of miracles in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord, come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap of praise this morning. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.